This week's podcast brought to you by Ducks Unlimited, the leader in wetlands conservation going all the way back to 1937. Think about that. That's a lot of history of conserving waterfowl habitat and the uh, ducks and geese that we all are so passionate about. Uh, I'm a proud member and I also serve on the Dallas DU committee. Uh, I encourage you to get plugged in with your local Ducks Unlimited chapter uh, and, and join this great group of folks who are passionate about duck hunting and waterfowl conservation. For more info, head over to ducks.org. Howdy, everybody. This week's podcast also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Born in war, Spartan Forge was conceived while targeting terrorists. Think about that. Targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror. We can also use this technology because of its similarities, to track mature bucks. Now it's time to get this analysis into your hands. It's military-based intelligence, next-generation mapping. I absolutely love it. And I love the people behind Spartan Forge. They're like me. Second Amendment till the day we die. No exceptions. America first. Spartan Forge. Check it out by downloading the app today. Now my brother, it seems, is as confounded as me by the art of the marital tradition. And so we drink and we dial and shoot the breeze for a while. Heck, it's just like we were out fishing. And it's well after nine, it don't cost us a dime. We think it's an elegant solution. All right, there's some smooth Max Dolling kicking things off for us on episode 670 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here today. You know, I had that box call out last week. I'm still playing with it. What do you like? You like a box, a slate? Or a diaphragm. I think diaphragm is my all-time favorite just from the uh, hands-free component. But uh, I think slate is the most versatile. And then a box call. Yes, you can just really hammer away on those things and reach out there and hopefully uh, elicit a response from that faraway Tom. But they all three have their place, and, and you won't find me without each of them. In my turkey vest, no doubt about that. But yeah, if you couldn't tell, uh, I'm jacked up for turkey season. Cannot wait. Headed south next week, actually. So um, anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you today. So you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee, you know, black rifle, if you know what's good for you. Out of granddaddy's beat up old Stanley Thermos, because we're ready to rock and roll. And joining us today will be Jesse Dubell of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. We had Jesse on last week, got into some uh, interesting discussions on, you know, Western states and their tag and license fees and allocations to non-residents and the phenomenon where uh, folks who don't live in the state essentially fund their entire fiscal budget for the year. So anyway, 
um, we left that conversation with still a lot on the table to get into, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk uh, about a proposed wanton waste bill that Jesse and the uh, Federation brought to the table. Why would the anti-hunters, why would they not want it to be mandatory for hunters to take the edible portions of black bear, mountain lion, and javelina out of the field? Why would that be? Uh, hmm. Very insidious stuff to get into on uh, on that. And then we're going to get into stream access or lack thereof, uh, private landowners locking out the public to public waterways. Can you even do that? Is that constitutional? Um, we're going to get into that. And predator hunting contests on public land. Jesse and I do not agree on that topic, but uh, I want him to explain why he feels the way that he does. So much to discuss today as we've got uh, quite a few interesting things to dive into with Jesse. Uh, that's what's on the docket. Going to be a good one. I guarantee you that. Let's do a quick giveaway. Uh, with turkey season here, how about, let's say three boxes of... Kent Cartridge Diamond Shot Turkey Loads. And uh, and they don't even make these anymore. As uh, When everything went to hell during the pandemic, the first thing Kent did was, was cut out turkey load production. So uh, these are antiques at this point, but they still will smack a turkey upside his noggin. Actually, I've killed feral hogs with them. I'm sitting there turkey hunting. Sounder hogs come by. Boom. Bacon. Uh, not a turkey, but a good alternative. Uh, so anyway, pretty lethal. Three boxes. I think there's, I think there's eight shots in a box, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, uh, turkey loads are expensive, by the way. So just email the word gobbler. That's gobbler to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. We'll throw in a Kent uh, camo cap to boot. Uh, and yeah, just do that, and you're entered into this week's Kent cartridge giveaway. Coming up next, part two of our in-depth conversation with New Mexico Wildlife Federation's Jesse Dubell on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Somebody told me when I came to Nashville, son, you finally got it made. Old Hank made it here. We're all sure that you will, but I don't think Hank done it this way. No. I don't think Hank Time to tell you about Protect products. Veteran owned and made in the USA, Protect makes your water work harder for you in the field. They have a hydration electrolyte formula for endurance and replenishment. It's perfect for elk hunting, right? Uh, energy formula for when you need an extra kick. Immunity for optimizing the immune system. And one of my favorites, the rest formula to ensure deep sleep and proper recovery. All the formulas are liquid, so they mix instantly in your water bottle or camelback. And the cool thing is, they don't gunk them up like a powder with that messy residue. They also have an easy-to-use line of mineral sunscreen for quick and odorless application and all-day protection in the field. For more info, head over to protect.com to see their entire lineup. That's protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T.com. It's that time of the year where you might want to try to kick off a new year with a fitness journey. Cryo and More has all your holistic healing needs with cold therapy, heat therapy, and pressure therapy, which shortcuts the time you have to spend recovering from your workout or minimize the muscle soreness you feel from physical activity. Cryo Skin is a body hack 
that speeds up the death cycle of the fat cells using non-invasive technology that uses heat and cold to eliminate fat cells. Your greatest wealth is your health. Visit cryoandmore.com or head over to the location off of Virginia Parkway in McKinney. Oh, and I'm old, All the nights we spent outlaws It's getting cold But that sun is cresting And heavy eyes ain't born resting Heavy Eyes, the name of that one from Zach Bryan, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg. Cable Smith with you, as always. Thanks for dropping by as we're about to continue last week's discussion with Jesse Dubell of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. Much to get into still. Uh, but first, this segment brought to you by NUMA Gear for the Outdoors. I keep telling you. You need to check out the Renegade Top, perfect for turkey season. It's going to keep you warm in the mornings, cool once that sun heats up and those gobblers get off that roost. Uh, but you can find the Renegade Top right there. Oh, and it's got a little zipper, quarter zip too, which I love. Uh, you can find it at numaoutdoors.com. All right. Uh, well, Jesse, welcome back, man. Uh, it's uh, it's good to visit with you again as We've, we couldn't get it all done in one episode, so uh, it's good to have you back on. Hey, thanks, Cable. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, so we uh, we taped the first part of our conversation a couple weeks ago, and then we realized hey, we had a lot more we needed to get into because, um, as you all know, New Mexico is the, is the place that I have spent more time hunting and fishing in than any place other than my home state of Texas. I love New Mexico. I actually just uh, uh, drove through New Mexico last week. We took the kids skiing in uh purgatory and so went through i think we, we spent the night in santa rosa and then went through through basically the new mexico badlands and that was something that i had in a, i've probably driven through it before but didn't realize how vast it was you know and i've been to the badlands up in south dakota and uh and it's very similar yeah that's some pretty remarkable country up there so you would have probably come down i-40 to i-25 and then i-25 north to highway 550 mm -hmm. and then oh, yeah. highway 550 up to uh to purgatory one of the things that we're working on i don't know if you saw any wildlife on 550 but that stretch of highway north of cuba you go through the little village of cuba there yeah just north of cuba that highway crosses the continental divide and that's the number one hot spot in new mexico for wildlife vehicle collisions uh -huh. um huge numbers of, of elk and deer killed by motorists on that stretch of roadway and a lot of uh, injuries to to motorists and so we're working on a big wildlife crossing in that area right there it's going to have uh, four overpasses i think five underpasses a bunch of wildlife fencing to funnel wildlife to that crossing so that we can improve motorist safety and save the lives of all those animals so that um, that we have more tags to distribute to hunters i think in colorado the number of deer killed on roadways is about equal to the number of deer killed every year by hunters. Huh. So if yeah. you think about it, if you can minimize the number of collisions on those roadways, then you can really uh, make a difference in increasing hunting opportunity. And then those animals are fully utilized. So it's a win-win. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it did come up though, as we're driving, you know, my wife who has been to on quite a few hunting trips with me over the years and is very familiar with what a high fence is. She was like, I didn't think they had high fences out here in like these national forests and, um, you know, New Mexico. And I said, no, nah, those are just there to keep the elk from getting hit by trucks, essentially. 
Yeah, the the fences that you saw there along 550 are are exactly for that reason to prevent wildlife from getting on the roadways. We do though have high fence operations mm. around the state, not on national forest land, but on private land, and also some of our our tribes uh, have what we call Class A game parks, which are you know high fence hunting operations. I use yeah. the term hunting a little bit loosely when I'm talking about high fence situations. Uh, you know, we don't have to dive into that, but I uh, <laughs> anyway, I have. I, I have kind of strong feelings about high fence operations. Yeah, well, I'll put it this way: I'm not a, I'm not against them. Uh, I mean, the the that that rabbit's not going back in the hat in Texas, that's for sure. Um, but I think it's relative to what a hunter is really looking for. Like, go to Africa, and if you're hunting a thirty thousand acre high fence, are you are you really hunting a high fence in the same uh, vein as stepping into a hundred acre? feed pen work or it's a kick and shoot operation well no those are completely different and you know 500 a thousand acres can be completely different than a hundred acre pen with no trees where you can just see everything that's in there you know uh so uh it, it's all relative but uh as far as why i wanted to have you back on you know there's a couple things that i wanted to hit on number one is the wanton waste issue um and i'll let you explain exactly what was proposed um and then the reaction from the anti-hunting side was something that i did not expect but it just goes to show the depths of their planning how well organized they are and just how insidious they really can be yeah you know the the groups who sought to end trapping on public lands in new mexico approached that issue with a with a decades long plan. I mean, you know, it happened in 2021, but it started over a decade earlier and and they're very strategic. Uh, They're super smart. And yeah, so your your point about the wanton waste, I'll just kind of dig into it a little bit here. The history in New Mexico, our statute says that the edible portions of big game animals must be removed from the field and edible portions are generally defined as the back straps and in, in the four quarters of the animal but there are three species in the state that are not listed in the wanton waste statute one of those species is javelina one of those species is black bear and the third one is cougar or mountain lions and um i've eaten all three by the way and all are phenomenal yeah i couldn't agree more i've actually got all three in my freezer yeah. as we speak i i I've really gotten into freeze drying lately. I do a lot of backpacking and backcountry stuff. And so I invested mm-hmm. some freeze drying equipment. And so far, my absolute favorite freeze dried meal is red chili pasoli made with uh, mountain lion. It's, nice. it's just fantastic, you know? So, yeah. so yeah, all three of those species are certainly edible. Um, and the fact that they're not included in the wanton waste statute is, is concerning. And one of the reasons why is because the pelts or the hide of a black bear or cougar have to be tagged by the New Mexico department of game and fish. So what that means is a hunter who's hunting black bear, for example, would shoot, could shoot legally shoot a black bear and then skin it, remove the head, remove the paws, leave the entire skin carcass on the landscape, take the hide into game and fish to be properly tagged so that it would be you know legal and that carcass that remains in the field, in my opinion, poses the risk of having a very, very negative impact on the perception of hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you drove through Albuquerque recently, Cable, you passed the Sandia Mountains, of course. Oh, yeah. Beautiful mountain range. It's kind of a an island surrounded by 
urban development. I mean, Albuquerque's right on the, the footsteps of the Sandia Mountains. So it's a very popular place for outdoor recreation activities. A lot of mountain bikers, a lot of rock climbers, a lot of bird watchers, a lot of hikers. And it also has an archery only bear hunt. And if I was to go into the Sandias and shoot a black bear and skin it out and remove the hide, but leave the carcass next to the trail for, you know, a Sierra Club hiker to stumble upon, the fear is that they could contact. Well, first of all, if you've ever seen, and I know you have seen a skinned out black bear, it, it you know, has a lot of resemblance to a human. So I think the initial reaction from a, from a hiker, um, for example, would probably be a little bit of shock, but they would likely contact law enforcement. Perhaps they would call Department of Game and Fish. Maybe they would call the Albuquerque Police Department. I don't know. But when they called to report this incident, if Game and Fish was to tell that person, oh, no, that's perfectly legal. Nothing was done wrong here. I think that the possibility of that incident getting on the front page of the newspaper and on the five o'clock news uh, is pretty high. And I think it would have really detrimental effects to the future of hunting black bears and mountain lions in particular in the state which those are two of the ones that are on this you know imaginary pedestal from the animal rights activists is uh they've kind of they're done with wolves for now you know uh but now it's really they're hitting on cougars and and bears um for for whatever reason it's the next low-hanging fruit that people like to get emotionally attached to yeah, and I think there's two reasons. One of them is their charismatic megafauna, so they're they're cute and cuddly and furry and all those things. And and through, you know, the the media like Disney, for example, you know, mm-hmm. they really kind of humanize or anthropomorphize these creatures. And you got Smokey the Bear, and you've got all of these kinds of things that that make people love those animals. And to be clear, Cable, I love those animals. I mean, I, I absolutely yeah, love bears and mountain lions but i absolutely uh think that they should be managed and they should be hunted but the second reason i think that the anti-hunting contingent really focuses hard on predators is because they have this ideal in their mind that if predators are managing the population of the prey species like mule deer in this case and elk then hunters are less necessary then we don't need Mm -hmm. hunters and hunt those animals because the predators will keep the populations under control and so i think there's a kind of a two reasons why those animals are, are really high on the list of anti-hunting organizations to, um, in their mind, protect, you know, and, and I think, as you know, Cable, hunting doesn't jeopardize wildlife populations. I mean, hunted species right. are doing better across the country than species that are not hunted. So in any case, the Wildlife Federation wrote a bill, very simple, a super short bill, that would just add bear, cougar, and javelina to the wanton waste statute. Nothing more, nothing less. And it would simply say that those, the edible portions of those animals would have to be removed from the field. I had some pretty intense conversations with some of our Republican lawmakers who were really opposed to the bill. Uh, I think there was some folks perceived it as like the Wildlife Federation trying to, you know, chip away at the rights of hunters. And yeah the intent was quite opposite. I mean, I'm trying to protect our, you know, ability to, to pursue these species. And yeah. I think, you know, this wanton waste. So you really don't give a crap that. if someone eats the bear or mountain lion, or, I mean, I think it's why shoot a javelina if you're not going to eat it. That's my personal opinion. Um, we're, and some people in Texas, they don't even know that you have a two javelina limit. I mean, they just shoot them like pigs and think, Oh, you know, you just drag them over here and let the vultures deal with them. I'm like, yeah, okay. It's annoying. They can, eat all the corn you put out for your deer but they're still a game species 
and uh we made uh we slow cooked a javelina and slow cooked a uh a whitetail deer i think we cooked the two uh front shoulders did the whole javelina last year dude there was no javelina leftovers in the camp and everyone was like "Ooh, the deer is just not as good i mean they get a bad rap but um they're actually quite delicious table fare so i don't the javelina to me is like why shoot it but uh, if you don't want to eat a predator, I'm fine with you hunting a predator and and taking the the hide and the skull and you know you're doing your part for management. Personally, that's where I stand. I would I'm not saying especially with coyotes. I mean, who wants to eat a damn dog? Not me. Uh, if you do, more power to you. But uh, that's where I would stand on that. And I think you told me in our last conversation, yeah, you don't really care what they do with it once they remove it from the field. It's just the look of the aesthetics of having that carcass there and then having uh, a granola eating hiker be like. Ooh, you know what's going on here, and then the 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 boulder starts rolling down the hill, and it ends up in our laps. Yeah, no, you're you're exactly right, and and you know, like I mentioned, there were some Republican lawmakers that uh, didn't like the bill and told me that you know the government shouldn't force people what they put into their bodies, and my response was very similar to what you just said, Kate. Like, well, then I'm not telling you what to put in your body. I'm just saying the edible portions have to be removed from the field. Right. You know, once you know the houndsman example and the, the new mexico houndsman association strongly supported this wanton waste bill um because they know that they're the low-hanging fruit right now after oh, trapping yeah. you know the houndsman yeah. they're on the chopping block and we're, i'm working very closely with john rudder the president of the new mexico houndsman association to try to get that fruit higher up the tree and, and he recognized this bill as one way to do that but you know people could donate it we have donation programs if you wanted to donate the meat to someone who would utilize it you certainly could uh i've talked to houndsmen that use it for dog food quite frankly i mean if you're a lion yeah. hunter or a bear hunter and you've got a pack of 10 or 12 hounds feeding those animals is expensive and so there's any number of things that could be done with 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 the meat but the the point of it was as you just said increasing the public's positive perception of the activity and i think leaving a carcass in the field is is really potentially damaging to the future of doing what we love to do and, and polling across the country. You've seen it a million times, I'm sure, but polling across the country shows that about over 80% of Americans are completely supportive of the idea of hunting if it's done for food. Mm -hmm. And about the same number are opposed to the idea of hunting if it's what they, and, and I hate to use the term trophy hunting it just because it's it's a complicated term because there's so many trophies well, it's involved a in dishonest hunting. term is what it is it was it used to be a term that held a bunch of esteem and if you know if you were a trophy hunter then you were taking the oldest mature male likely past his breeding age and it, and that hasn't changed that's what we still do but they have they have made that word something nasty yeah which, is, they, uh, which they, i'm a trophy <laughs> hunter i don't care but i you know i still eat it because that's part of the trophy um and the experience is part, it's all a trophy, but if you can kill the oldest, wisest male that's persecuted the hardest, that's, uh, you know, eluded a hunter for the majority of its life, then that's an accomplishment. And you should take pride in that. And that is a trophy. Yeah, I agree. It usually comes with the biggest rack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. Well, Jesse, let's table this for just a second. Uh, we'll come back and, and wrap up our wanton waste bill uh, discussion and then uh, get into a few other things that uh, we may or may not agree on. Might have to agree to disagree. But that segment was brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'm a proud member. Uh, we just wrapped up our biggest and best convention ever in Nashville a couple weeks ago. Uh, 
It's going to be back in Nashville next year. So uh, go over to safariclub.org and make your plans to attend the 2024 convention. It's going to be awesome. Uh, we'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Always been a gambling man, rolling bones with either hand. Seven years of promised land, early in the morning. Real whiskey be my dying bed, tear my word, lay my head. Now with me is all she said. Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use e-forms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. Did you know that Orvis has been family-owned since its inception in 1856? Think about that. Uh, they also donate 5% back to protecting nature. Orvis and his customers have raised and donated more than $20 million to protecting nature over the past 25 years. They continue to grow a community of outdoorsmen and women with classes focused on everything from fly fishing to wing shooting and hunting dog handling from basics all the way to advanced. And don't forget about their unique fly fishing and wing shooting trips all over the world. Orvis, proudly American-made fly fishing gear since 1856. That's the boss bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. I'm Cable Smith, and I got to be honest with you, uh, I was late to the Springsteen party, and, and I grew up on classic rock. I still love it, but it was my first safari where I really dove into his entire catalog and and came to appreciate his greatness. Um, and it was just the in-flight entertainment on well, Emirates was the first airline I flew over there. And I spent like nine hours just listening to Springsteen on the way there, and then I ran it back flying home. So, uh, yeah. I get it now. Uh, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Mossberg Firearms. Proudly, ruggedly American-built. The oldest family-owned firearm manufacturer in America, by the way. You can find their entire catalog of shotguns, rifles, and pistols at Mossberg.com. Okay, uh, well, let's jump back into it with New Mexico Wildlife Federation Executive Director Jesse Dubell as we will continue the discussion on the proposed wanton waste bill that uh, the Federation brought to the table. But, you know, we, we both know that only about 5% of the population in this country identify as hunters. And so it's really incumbent upon that 5% to do everything we possibly can to help influence the other 95% of people to be supportive of what we do. I mean, uh, we at Federation, we work on our three initiatives and all those kinds of things. But more important than getting people into hunting, I think, is getting people to, to be supportive of hunting, whether or not they mm -hmm. actually to engage in the activity. And that's one of the reasons I wanted this wanton waste bill to be a hunter led initiative, you know, animal protection voters or defenders of wildlife or wild earth guardians or Sierra club or anybody else could have brought this bill and said, Hey, yeah. 
We don't really support the hunting of these species, but if you're going to hunt them, you should have to remove the edible portions. But they never did that. It was the hunting community who said, hey, let's fix this issue because it is an issue. And uh, Steve Ranella was down here hunting ibex in the Florida mountains a couple of years ago. And uh, he was hunting with a good buddy of mine. They came across a javelina that had been killed with, with an arrow, you know, archery equipment. And it was posed perfectly for a photograph, a perfect shot right through the vitals on this dead javelina. It's, it's posed perfectly for, for a photograph with a stick kind of propping open its mouth so you can see those, those large mm-hmm. tusks the javelina have. And Steve Ranella's initial reaction was, hey, we need to contact Game and Fish. Someone just left this, shot this thing and just left it here. And my buddy who was with him actually said, no, that is, there wasn't a violation here. They, they can do that. And really, they can't. It's kind of a gray area because the animal wasn't tagged. So you'd have to remove some portion of the animal to, so that you could attach your carcass tag. Yeah. And that wasn't done in this case. Nonetheless, the fact that we can leave an animal out there is, is just... Uh, it's bad PR, man. I, I don't know how else it's to bad say optics. It. So, but here's the interesting thing. All this is a great conversation, but there's a little more depth to it because when interacting with animal rights activists, anti-hunting groups, they're not on board with this. Yeah, it's which it's was surprising, kind of, right? You'd think, oh yeah, yeah, we that's that we can all agree that we shouldn't just waste animals or at least give the perception that we're not eating the. I mean, if it's a predator, whatever, but still it's bad optics. So you told me off the air though, that, I mean, pretty, pretty surprising to get their reaction as to why they wouldn't support it. Well, yeah. And it was a mixed reaction from all of the various conservation groups. Some of the groups who are, are not necessarily supportive of hunting did support the wanton waste build. And, and they were, you know, pretty transparent in saying, Hey, uh, I don't really think we should be hunting those animals to begin with, but if you're going to hunt them, absolutely. You should have to remove the edible portions. They were uh-huh. very but the more extreme opinion that i heard on more than one occasion was hey man we can't support that because we intend to go after the activity of pursuing lions and bears particularly with hounds you know that these these anti-hunting organizations they don't go for the whole thing all at once you know they 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 look at what's most vulnerable and they, they pick away at it one piece at a time and so and they were very clear with me that the next thing that they plan to do is outlaw the pursuit of hunting mountain lions and bears with hounds. And they said straight up, we will not publicly oppose the bill because that would just be terrible optics. You know, we, we wouldn't really be able to explain that to the general public, but we're, we're going to have to, we can't support it. And what yeah. that means is we're going to work behind the scenes, not in a public hearing at the legislature where they're going to make a public comment for the world to hear, but rather in closed door meetings behind the scenes, talking to legislators to kill the bill. And, and I don't want, know if it, they want hunters to leave those carcasses out so they can use it as ammunition. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's, it's like, a, it's a dream for some of these organizations to come across that carcass and, and, you know, the ammunition that they would be able to create with the media would just be overwhelming. So absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing, Cable. And, and I, this is going to get controversial here. So the bill the, to wrap up the wanton waste discussion, and then I'll get into something more controversial where you might dislike me after I mention it, but <laughs> the, <laughs> that's a possibility, but the wanton waste bill died this session. We, we had our very first committee hearing at the very start of the session, the chair of house energy and natural resources committee assigned the bill right away because he's not a hunter, uh, uh-huh. but he really liked the bill. 
He thought it was an exceptional piece of legislation and he supported it fully. So he granted us a committee hearing right away. We passed out a committee unanimously. Uh, every public comment was a comment in support ranging from Sierra Club and Wild Earth Guardians all the way to the other end of the spectrum with the New Mexico Council of Outfitters and Guides. You don't often see the Wild Earth Guardians and New Mexico Council of Outfitters and Guides on the same side of an issue in this state. Mm -hmm. Very rare. Uh, there was only one negative comment made by a committee member who stated that he did not like eating javelina meat. He said it was disgusting. I had to bite my tongue because I wanted to tell him to keep his hands off the glands, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, I didn't. I didn't. And he voted to support the bill. But then it never got a hearing in its second committee assignment. The chair of that committee, quite frankly, refused to hear the bill. She absolutely would not schedule it for a hearing. Huh. And it's there to die. I, I can't state whether the animal rights organizations got to the chair and had an influence in her not scheduling the bill but i can say that the, the sponsors of the bill of which there are three republicans and democrats it's it was a bipartisan bicameral bill so we had sponsors in the house and the senate we had republicans and democrats they did everything they could to get the chair to schedule it she simply refused well then I somebody got to her for sure because there's no other explanation why would like why would she be jaded towards something that really could only be positive uh yeah i mean, yeah, we'll just, I mean let's just call a spade a spade somebody <laughs> somebody paid her or said hey you know do this and we'll scratch your back later whatever it was that's pathetic and uh but hardly surprising that's how they operate yeah so it, it was it was a really unfortunate situation and uh the republican co-sponsor of the bill told me if we can get that bill a hearing it will pass unanimously i have no doubt but he said the chair's simply not going to hear it and there's nothing mm -hmm. we're going to be able to do to to change her mind so that bill's a dead deal. But uh, in 2019, Cable, I'm sorry to get off topic here, but I think this is relevant to this conversation and, and might be of value to some of your listeners. In 2019, the New Mexico Wildlife Federation supported a bill to outlaw coyote killing contests in the state of New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Now, we're a hunting organization. We're comprised of hunters. I'm a lifelong hunter. Um, and boy, you cannot imagine the amount of, of heat that I took for that action, but it was real similar to the wanton waste statute. The reason I, I, I don't have an issue with anybody killing coyotes. They're so prevalent and they're so adaptable. Yeah. They're everywhere. And no matter how much you hunt them, you're never going to hurt the population. I mean, they're just such a resilient species. The issue was social media provided a platform for, for these guys that are and gals that are participating in these contests to share images that had a very negative impact on the perception of hunters and i worked for years to try to get people to keep those images off of the the internet like just you know don't don't advertise prizes for the smallest dog and then post a picture of a, a little tiny puppy and you won an ar-15 because you killed the smallest coyote of the entire contest and then plaster it all over social media and feel like you're you're doing hunters any favors you know there was mm -hmm. one social media post where someone used a drone to take a picture of a whole bunch of dead coyotes spelling the word PETA. So they, they wrote the word PETA with coyote carcasses, took a picture of it from you know an aerial photo with a drone, and then plastered it all over social media. When I couldn't get people to stop posting those pictures, I saw that as a threat to the future of hunting. I, I saw mm -hmm. that as ammunition for the anti-hunters to attack the thing that I love most in the world, which is hunting. And so what we did is we ran this bill to outlaw contests, didn't outlaw hunting. You can go hunt, kill as many coyotes as you want. It doesn't make a difference. It just outlawed the contest portion. And as that bill was moving through the legislature, that bill eventually passed, um, a, a 
friend of mine who's a very avid coyote contest participant. He travels around the country every year and he's sponsored by Fox Pro and all the different companies. Mm-hmm. He was furious. I and mean, we almost lost a friendship over it. He was furious that that I would be supporting this thing. Well, I mean, and- I'll be honest. I think it's a bad bill. Uh, that's my personal opinion. We have we've had people trying to do the same crap here. Uh, but like I'm friends with the guys that run the West Texas uh, Big Bobcat Contest. And when you look at their Facebook posts from seven, eight years ago to today, gone are the pictures. Like if you have the team that killed the most coyotes, they're no longer standing there with a, a huge pile of coyotes. They can take those pictures for themselves, but the contest official photos now is like you killed the biggest bobcat. Of course, you're going to hold that up. But we're not posting a picture of 30 dead gray fox and 25 coyotes. Um, so they've changed that too. And part of me is like, yeah, you know, we're never going to change the minds of the anti-hunters you know it's beating a dead horse so are we gonna why should we apologize for what we're doing or not be transparent about it but yeah i get it i mean it's the optics of it again um i don't know i i wouldn't agree with banning uh, any kind of contest or telling people what they can and can't do i think that's overstepping it but i don't dislike you for it i mean <laughs> having a good conversation so that's a little harsh we'll just have to agree to disagree on that yeah, and that's okay. And, and a lot of people, as you can imagine, a lot of people disagree with me on that. And one, one, this buddy of mine that I was telling you about who's real avid into the contest came to me and said, there's no way to enforce this. I mean, how is someone going to enforce it? If I've got 15 buddies and we're out on public land hunting coyotes and we have our own little contest, how, how could anybody enforce it? And I told him, I, I don't care if anybody enforces it or not, but you're not going to post it on social media. You're not yeah. going to put it on your Facebook. And that was the entire intent of this. It wasn't that I was trying to, to get these guys to stop doing the thing they love. Yeah. Just trying to, to manage the perception of hunters. And you're right. There, there's certainly plenty of anti-hunters. We're never going to change their mind. But there's so many people that are that haven't made up their mind one way or mm-hmm. the other. And I think it's important to do everything we possibly can to, to help encourage them to kind of fall on our side of the fence instead of the other side. And, and that's where, that's where some of this stuff comes in the wanton waste and a, you know, similar train of thought to, to what we did with the, the coyote killing contest bill. And, and, and that was very controversial. A lot of people, you know, still consider me an anti-hunter and a green decoy and every other kind of thing you can think of that I get called <laughs> as a result of that bill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, again, uh, I, I, sub, I would support the wanton waste. I wouldn't support the coyote thing, but you know, we'll just have different opinions on that. Let's uh, go ahead and take a quick break, come back, and we'll get into the issues that you guys and and me, because I've experienced it firsthand in New Mexico, uh, but what we're up against as far as public waters and stream and river access. Private landowners think they own the whole world. Uh, we'll discuss that segment brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy, uh, Josh and Becky showed up at the house with a delivery this past week, and I mean, I got my Cape Buffalo skull, I got my life-size wolf mount, I got a bunch of stuff, but the coolest thing was being able to surprise Aaron with her Snook replica. This is one she caught while we were fishing for my 40th birthday. I'm the one that should have caught the giant-ass Snook. No, uh, clearly not bitter at all. Uh, but she reeled this thing in. I looked over at, at my friend, Captain Mike Holiday when we were uh, down there in Florida, I said, Mike, how big does Snook get? And he goes, that big, pointing to her fish she was holding. I said, okay. Uh, so took the measurements and then surprised her, uh, I guess it's a, about a year later, with an amazing mount. So thanks to Josh and Becky for that. 
They've got locations in San Antonio and Marion, just outside of New Braunfels. But whether it's an African safari, a trophy, snook, redfish, or a white-tailed deer, they've got you covered. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Among the midnight runners and the teenage stunners, we were searching for the light of day. We hoped against hope to find one voice to sing what we were desperate to say. Hey guys, Cable here for Armasite. If you're looking to light up the night, whether that's with thermal or night vision, then you need to head over to Armasite.com. That's where you can find all of the thermal night vision monoculars, uh, thermal weapon sights and of course night vision nods yeah those cool looking helmets the one that i have yeah buddy you can find them over at armorsite.com they've got it all right there and even better than that they've got some new stuff coming down the pike like the 640 contractor i've got the 320 640 even better you can find it all at armorsite.com Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Wow. We live in crazy times when it comes to censorship on social media. And if you're a gun owner and a hunter, and if you're proud of those things and you post about those things, then you're already on the blacklist. You're getting censored. You might not even know it. Take it from me. I had my Instagram page deleted for an entire month for no reason last year. Mm Mm-hmm. Guess what? That kind of stuff doesn't happen over at Go Wild. It's a community of people who love to hunt, fish, and cook their wild game. They also love guns. If you want to be a part of that kind of place where you're not getting censored, where they actually promote posts with that kind of content, just go to download Go Wild. It's a free app. I absolutely love it. You'll see me there posting every day. So come on, join the conversation at Go Wild. I got peace of mind and elbow room. I love to smell the sage in bloom. I'll catch a rainbow on my fishing line. We got county fairs and rodeos. Ain't a better place for my kids to grow. Just turn them loose in the western summertime. Little Chris LaDue is back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. Thanks for dropping by. We've still got New Mexico Wildlife Federation Executive Director Jesse Dubell on the line. And we'll get back into that discussion momentarily. This segment, though, brought to you by Big and J Whitetail Attractants and the good folks over at Stealth Camp. Okay. Uh, well, Jesse, thanks for sticking around. You guys have been struggling with stream access rights. And I've seen it firsthand. I, I was fishing, and I told you this, um, I was fly fishing in New Mexico, out basically in Red River, and then you kind of get to the outskirts. Uh, but, you know, there's double wides and RVs and stuff lining the river there with people's summer, summer and spring homes. And um, all of a sudden, I, and I'm wade fishing, you know, I'm wading, trout fishing. I get to a fence that goes across the river. And I'm like, wait a second. I thought, uh, you know, I had access to this river it's public it's a public waterway 
Uh, but there was no navigating around that fence unless you got out and went on private land, which I didn't do. I just, you know, we ended up, try, you know, going downstream and driving to the next place we could do. But it was a real pain in the ass. And I, it didn't really make sense to me then. And it still doesn't make sense to me now. Uh, you guys have been uh, fighting that issue. Um, and I think, you know, maybe we have some good news on that front. I don't know that the landowners are... Uh, I think the landowners and some of them are big Texas oil guys that have bought up large chunks of New Mexico. I don't think they're down with that resolution, but you know, I don't really give a crap what they think to be Frank. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that, that mm -hmm. attitude cable. Cause I, I don't really care either. The, the, the tricky thing is it's all these wealthy Texans coming to New Mexico to buy land and privatize the river because they can't do it in Texas. You know, Texas yeah. is as red of a state as it is, has really reasonable and appropriate stream and river access laws i mean if 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 someone in texas was told they couldn't get on their inner tube and float down you know one of these the these, guadalupe or whatever yeah. yeah it would be there'd be an uprising i mean they wouldn't they wouldn't stand for it and the state of new mexico's constitution is very clear that all waters in the state belong to the public and the public has a right to recreate in public waters and it goes for both perennial and torrential waterways um so even you know in new mexico obviously being a dry state even the rio grande dries up you know times of the year uh, but when it's flowing and when there's water in the river the public has a right to recreate in that public water obviously you can't trespass across private land to get into the water and you can't trespass across private land to get out of the water but the waters are public the constitution said that but the game com commission under the last governor passed a game commission rule called the non-navigable um, non stream access rule. What this rule did is allowed landowners to fill out an application and file that with the game commission requesting to have their section of river uh, there in air quotes, you know, the river where it crosses their private land. They wanted permission. They wanted a certificate to block the public from recreating in that public waterway. So they wanted to put fences across it. And some of these fences aren't like three strand barbed wire fences. Some of these are concertina wire. I mean, it looks like a, like a prison compound. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And then when those certificates were granted, the game department, and this is part of what was really offensive about the whole thing. The game department would actually go out and install the no trespassing, no fishing signs wow. on those sections of water. So they're using my license dollars that I paid for as an angler, I buy my fishing license. They're taking the money from that license and using it to put up signs blocking me out of the public waters. I, I pay, I pay more than you, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you do <laughs> as you should, <laughs> but I pay more, I pay more to hunt Texas than you do. So, um, <laughs> I, but Texas so, in our defense is pretty friendly to out of state hunters. We don't, we don't rake them over the coals, but, uh, like all the Western States do just throw yeah, that out no, there. That's, no, you're right. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't disagree. And but, and I like but back to the stream access thing. So the, they paid for it with, with our dollars, with our dollars which is infuriating. Yeah. I, I did a float down the Pecos river. I floated 17 miles on my alpaca raft forager. And in 17 miles, I crossed 18 fences. And hmm. luckily the Adobe whitewater club, who was a, a co-petitioner in the lawsuit that we filed, uh, the Adobe whitewater club had gone down the river in advance of my trip and put survey tape on, on these barbed wire fences, because if you're in a rapid, you know, flowing water on a raft, I mean, you could easily be hurt or killed by some of these, you know, three strand, five strand barbed wire fences crossing the river. You can't see them until you're, 
it's too late, like till you're mm -hmm. right on top of them. So it's a real public safety hazard. But we recognize that, that that rule was unconstitutional. It was a direct violation of the state constitution. There was a Supreme Court case in 1945, the Red River case that had affirmed the stream access law in New Mexico, that the public had a right to, to recreate in public waters. So we worked with the Game Commission to open up that rule again. And uh, our chair of the commission at that time, who actually has a huge ranch in Texas and spends a ton of time uh, in South Texas, is from Texas. Um, the chair of the commission at that time was Joanna Prukop. And she listened to our request and said, you know what, you're right. This is really problematic. We need to look into this. It's she unconstitutional. It's in the Constitution. <laughs> it's, like, like, it's amazing <laughs> that they would violate state statutes oh, for these private landowners. It's absurd. It is absurd. And so now, and I understand they have to keep cattle in. Right. But there's got to be ways to allow people to access the stream or river and still have the fencing for the cows. 100 percent. There's there's a lot of boater friendly fencing options that can contain cattle or exclude cattle, depending on what the landowner is trying to do, but that don't pose a safety hazard and don't block public access. There's yeah. a lot of solutions for that. But when Joanna agreed to look into the stream access issue, uh, the governor removed her from the commission immediately. Um, huh. The governor yanked her because there's a very wealthy Texan who owns a big ranch and he has a private fishing operation that he takes his, you know, wealthy, he's an attorney for oil companies, takes a lot of the uh, oil company executives fishing on this little stretch of river. He's got the feeders set up that, you know, throw out the pellets for all the fish and uh -huh. they catch these big giant 10 pound brown trout and take pictures for Instagram and stuff. He didn't want the public in his section of water. And that individual had donated. We filed an inspection of public records act request to see if how much I caught a 10 pound brown trout. I take a picture for Instagram. Heck yeah, you would. <laughs> in their defense on that. I mean, like, yeah. What if, what if you caught it using one of those pellets for the, for the, uh, the bait cable? Oh man. Uh, yeah. What if I ate it? Oh my God. Can you imagine the backlash there? Here's my 10 pound brownie and here's me eating it, by the way. Yeah, I oh love it. Gosh. The trout so, purists would lose their minds. Yeah, they sure would. And I'd be um, enjoying a good meal. Yeah. So anyway, the governor removed Joanna. Then the vice chair was on our side on stream access. So he also got yanked from the commission. He got removed and it was clear that we weren't going to be able to get this situation resolved through the executive branch of government because the governor um was very loyal to the people who have these certificates there were five of those certificates issued those non-navigable water certificates there's spences and signs on every river in the state even outside of the five that were actually certified but there were five certified segments and the owners of those certificates um had been really strong financial contributors to the governor's campaign so we decided without being able to fix it administratively, the only option we had to was go into the judicial branch and file a lawsuit in the New Mexico State Supreme Court, which which was all new to me, man. New Mexico Wildlife Federation is not a litigious organization. We don't go out trying to sue anybody and looking for lawsuits and those kinds of things. But quite frankly, we had no other choice. I mean, this was the only way we were going to get resolution to the issue. And uh, in, I guess it was March 1st of 2022, the New Mexico Supreme Court ruled unanimously that, in fact, this rule from the Game Commission was unconstitutional. All those certificates were immediately void, and they demanded that the landowners remove the obstacles and the signs blocking public access. Two of the landowners, uh, both wealthy Texans, appealed the decision, essentially. They, they sent a petition to the Supreme Court of the United States. Mm. Uh, 
letting the Supreme, you know, asking the Supreme Court of the United States to intervene. They said that this was a taking, that the state of New Mexico was violating their private property rights and had, you know, cost them ridiculous sums of money. And but wait a second, the- here in the Constitution is where it says New Mexicans have the right to access this water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so whether it's right uh, or wrong or what, I mean, doesn't matter. I mean, obviously, I'm in favor of us having access to those waterways, but it doesn't matter because it's in the Constitution. Yeah, it's, it's the law. That's, that's exactly right. It's crazy because a lot of these people who fighting so hard to keep us out of the public waters are the people you would think that are the most loyal to the Constitution, right? I mean, we're mm-hmm. talking about people who who you would just think would absolutely support the Constitution, and and these are the same people that were trying to violate it. Anyway, the Supreme Court of the United States just a couple of weeks ago. Um, release that they are not going to hear the case they have no interest in hearing it that the state has decided and the constitution's clear there's no reason for them to waste any time on it so so now we have legally it's been clearly determined uh by by the new mexico state supreme court that the public absolutely has a right to all the public waterways in the state uh the fences are still there the barricades are still up i've got a meeting with our legal team tomorrow to talk about how we're going to address that because i can't get the governor to do it. I can't get the Department of Game and Fish to do it. Conservation officers won't do it. So I don't know if I need to go out there with wire cutters and start cutting fences. Um, obviously, it'll result in a probably an arrest and a citation and then a court case to follow. I, I don't know. You know, I, I tried mm-hmm. talking to a lot of these landowners and, and told them, let's work together on this. If we need to replace that section of fence, the Wildlife Federation We'll, we'll donate the resources. We'll provide the materials. I'll get a crew of volunteers. We'll rebuild the fence for you at no cost to you so that it's a, a safe fencing mm-hmm. strategy for the public, but also accomplishes whatever goals the landowner might have with regard to containing or excluding cattle. And, and so I they have, didn't care for that. No, no, it, I was, it was not well received. Um, <laughs> there's a great story in Outdoor Life. You could Google it. it and the, t- the title of the story is I'll Have to Bury You Out Here. And Dad Collins, who's a reporter for Outdoor Life, went fishing with an attorney friend of mine uh, here in New Mexico. And they got run off the river by a firearm yielding landowner who said he was sighting in his rifle. He said, you guys can't fish pat, pat up this river i'm sighting in my rifle and they said well we're just going to be a minute you know we'll, we'll get through your property and continue on up the river and he said well if you go any further i'm you know you might get winged by as i'm sighting in my rifle and they're like oh are you kidding me right and so they Jeez. left you know but um but that's the issue that we have here it's like now the law's clear but we have to figure out how we're going to move forward and actually ensure that the public has the access that the law says they do it's like the wild west out there. Oh, it is, man. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> it really yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, uh, so good news. Now we just have to get the landowners in compliance. Let's knock out our last break, Jesse. We'll come back and I want to talk tethering bills. Uh, it, it, they look like innocuous bills uh, aimed at the casual dog owner, but really, uh, yeah, there's more to it. They They look like a clear assault on our hunting heritage, if you ask me. Uh, We'll discuss that and more after the break. That segment brought to you by Armasite and All Seasons Feeders and Blinds, who right now, by the way, uh, the 2022 entire lineup of All Seasons barbecue pits and smokers are on sale for 25% off. They're trying to move 
that inventory out so they can make room for the 2023 models. Uh, go over to uh, ASF Smokers or AllSeasonsFeeders.com uh, if you want to take advantage of those deals. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Family's been torn apart. Doesn't have to be this way. Some people. You're looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW, then Three Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms. You get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. In the market for a compact track loader? Check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat Compact Track Loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Land is the one thing they're not making any more of, but we all want it. And Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over a hundred years. They'll do the same for you. If you're ready to take that next step and make the dream of owning your own land reality, then head over to LoneStarAgCredit.com. Tyler Childers there for you. Cable Smith welcoming everyone back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg. Thanks for being here. Uh, we're going to wrap up our two-week conversation. Well, it didn't start out that way, but uh, there was just so much to get into with New Mexico Wildlife Federation Executive Director Jesse Dubell that we had to, uh, we had to bring him back. I'm glad we did. We're going to talk dog tethering bills momentarily and what they're really designed to do, because it's a shot at you and me and our way of life. But first, this segment brought to you by Trigger Time Kennels in Bonham, Texas, and Vortex Optics, whom, by the way, is offering a 10% off code when you shop at uh, eurooptic.com. They're like one of Vortex's biggest dealers. They have every Vortex product under the sun, and you'll get 10% off when you use my promo code LONESTAR10 when you check out at eurooptic.com. Okay, uh, Jesse, let's talk hunting dogs because these uh, these tethering bills, and this is something you sent me uh, an email from Sportsman's Alliance, uh, who they keep tabs on anti-hunting, anti-2A legislation in all 50 states. Uh, but uh, they had a press release about a tethering bill, I believe, in New Mexico. I don't know. That was like going to committee hearings or something while I was in Colorado skiing. Uh, so what's the update on that? And, and just a little background, like people think, Oh, well, you know, you shouldn't leave your, your dogs chained up outside. Well, that's your right to do that. If you want, it's your dog, it's your property. Uh, pets are property. And it's generally not aimed at the one dog that you see chained to a tree or a stake in the front yard. It, this is an anti-hunting bill aimed at houndsmen. 
who have 15, 20 dogs on stakes and are very well taken care of. Uh, and and you know what? Those dogs, I've, I've been on those bear and, and cougar hunts. Those dogs like that area. That's their home. You know, the, they don't look at it as anything other than this is where I'm supposed to be until I get to go do the thing that I love to do, which is go hunting. Yeah, the tethering bill passed its first committee. Luckily, it's going to time out. It's not going to have time to get past this session. It's going to mm-hmm. die. The fee increase bill is going to die as well. Just I know we talked about that in, in the last episode or, or this episode, earlier yeah. in this episode that we recorded previously, just an update for folks. The fee increase bill is not going to happen this year uh, just because one of the committee chairs doesn't like the game department and doesn't want to see them get more funding, so he's just not going to hear their bill. But mm-hmm. the tethering bill would make it so the whole thing the whole thing died then like the increase to 900 something dollars and then the uh, application increase all of it huh all of it the whole thing is dead yeah uh so we haven't had a fee increase the last time a fee bill passed the legislature was in 2005 and now we're going to be 18 years without a fee increase and going another year best case scenario we can get that bill passed in 2024 and it won't go into effect until 2025 so you're talking about 20 year span of no adjustments to license fees to an agency that's dependent entirely on those license fees right. you, can, you know it's a, it's a bad situation um but at least we'll have time to work through that bill and get more stakeholder input and talk to non-residents like you and make sure that you know everybody's in agreement as to, to how that bill should be written yeah. on its next go-round the tethering bill would make it illegal to tether a dog for more than three hours time. And it is absolutely an anti-hunting bill. There's, there's no question about it. I mean, yeah. uh, the bill is written in such a way that it makes it sound like people who would tether their dog or just it's animal cruelty. Like we're just abusive to animals. And um, I've got a poodle pointer who I love dearly and she's a versatile hunting dog. She's trained to do a whole variety of different things from shed hunting to waterfowl retrieval. But what I really love to use her for is is for blood tracking we've gone through more blood tracking exercises and i'm fortunate that i've never actually had to use her on one of my tracks i've never been unable to to find a big game animal that i've shot so i've never had to use her but where i elk hunt to the trailhead from my house to the trailhead's about a seven hour drive you know new mexico's a big state certainly not as big as texas but i i can't have my dog at home and go bow hunting for elk in the gila and expect that if I make a bad shot or if, if somehow things go wrong and I, I wound an animal, that I'm going to be able to get my dog on that track in a reasonable time. So I take my dog hunting with me. And if we're camped at the truck, she'll stay in her crate or dog box. But when we're backpacked in the wilderness, I can't carry a dog box in there. So I carry this this lead, this uh, steel braided yeah. you know, tether. And when I'm out hunting, she's at camp tethered, you know, and uh, then I hunt elk all day, come back, untether her in the evening. And she absolutely loves it, you know? And if this bill were to pass, I wouldn't be able to take my dog hunting with me. Like that is animal cruelty. I mean, if you, if I start loading up my truck, if you see the way my dog reacts when she sees me start loading up hunting gear to drive away, leaving her at home is animal cruelty. And so the bill passed its first committee hearing. Uh, It'll time out and die this session, but it'll certainly be back next section. That's the thing. It dies this session, but they always bring them back. Yeah, it'll be back. No question so, about it. That's interesting because I didn't know that you could use blood tracking dogs in New Mexico because I shot a, an elk two years ago, beautiful six by six, and I hit him two inches high. Um, miss, miss, I, and I ranged this tree at 
40 and he stepped what, what I thought was right next to it. And, but he was actually in front of it a little bit. And so he was more like 32 yards made a world difference. And we found a little blood and the, the guy that was calling was like, dude, you drilled him. Like that was a great shot. I was like, eh, when he turned around, I could see that arrow sticking out great penetration, but I'm worried about, you know, how high it was. And we never found that bull. And I, I'm pretty sure he lived. I think it wasn't, you know, in no man's land, but, uh, I would have liked to have had a dog there. Yeah. I mean, it, blood tracking dogs are, are amazing animals and and um you know teckle hounds are probably the most popular breed for doing blood tracking i've got buddies with teckles but uh i just use my poodle pointer but this year if i don't draw an elk tag i'll probably go down to the gila and camp out for two weeks you know in the heart of elk country not interfering with other hunters or anything but just so that i've got my dog there for hunters who you know might need some assistance i'll, I'll put a sign up at my camp or something and put a uh-huh. thing on facebook and all the hunting groups like hey i'll be in the gila during this time if you've got a tag and you need any help hit me up. I'll have my in reach, you know, so I've got service where I'm there. And if somebody needs some help, man, it's a ton of fun to, to help a hunter, you know, um, find the animal that they've wounded. It's a pretty emotional time for hunters. Like if, if, if a hunter has that unfortunate situation, it's, it's emotional, it's, it's frustrating and all those kinds of things. Yeah. It's terrible. But do you you know the percentage of, and, and it's a lot higher than people think the percentage of lost animals with archery equipment, I've very, heard numbers very high. like fifty percent. You know, yeah, um, it's uh, it's it's astronomically harder to recover an animal with archery equipment than it is with a rifle. I mean, that's just the way it is. But I think a lot of people, and myself included, until I lost an elk with a bow, I was like, ah, it's this, you know, yeah, it's not that much different than rifle hunting. No, it absolutely, unequivocally, is <laughs> like you you lose more animals. It's just the way it is. There's such a there's a much higher margin for error. No, there um, absolutely is. And I've been fortunate never to have lost a big game animal um, that I've shot and shot with, a, with archery equipment. I did lose a Merriam's Turkey back in 2010. That'll haunt me for the rest of my life. I, I don't understand how I lost that Turkey. I drilled hmm. this Turkey looked like I hit it right in the wing, but I thought it was done. It was flapping around on the ground and then it took to the air and flew across this big Canyon. And I searched for, hours and hours and hours and it just never found that turkey obviously you know it didn't go to waste the coyotes and scavengers made full use of that bird but that's the only animal i've ever lost uh after mm-hmm. hitting it with my bow but um you know wounding loss is a big deal and it's something that hunters i think need to take really serious and that's you know getting back to some more controversial stuff that's the reason the mexico wildlife federation last year supported a, a rule by the state game commission to outlaw the use of scopes on muzzle loaders. you know they're there are people hunting with muzzle loaders taking five, six, seven, eight hundred yard shots. I mean, just really crazy stuff. And it got to the point where it just wasn't a primitive weapon. And muzzle loaders, while probably more lethal than archery equipment, are are also not rifles. You know, I think there's a lot yep. of wound loss with muzzle loaders. Generally, in my experience, they don't have very good blood trails. And uh, that I think- is, I mean, I like I like hunting with my scoped muzzle loader, and I've shot uh, I shot a mule deer in the Pecos wilderness in 2015 or 16 at like 11,000 feet with that, with that muzzle loader. Now I crawled to within 70 yards of the, of the deer. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, but I do, it's not, it's not the scopes. It is, it's the technology for the, from the weapons, like the, the muzzle loaders themselves are, uh, so much more lethal 
at a farther range that yeah it's like shooting a rifle and that's that kind of takes away the point of black powder hunting because you still you have to get close you know like a 200 yard shot with what with my muzzle loader that's a poke like you're talking eight inches of drop um yeah it's not i'm, I'm trying to get within really 100 yards yeah and I, th- I think that's what the intent was behind primitive weapon seasons like muzzleloader seasons but it's the technology's gotten you know so advanced that that it's not so primitive anymore. And what it came down to is a chief wildlife biologist was very clear and said, if we don't remove the scopes, we're going to have to make a drastic cut to the number of tags that we issue every year because harvest rates on muzzleloaders have climbed significantly from when mm-hmm. the muzzleloader seasons were first established, you know, and people were shooting an old Hawkins with an octagonal barrel and whatever. Now, you know, the harvest, the success rates almost look just like rifle hunts. I mean, the success rate for muzzleloaders in New Mexico, particularly for Ibex and pronghorn, which are kind of open country type species, the success rates look just like they do for rifle. And so the wildlife biologist said, if we don't remove the scopes, we're going to cut the number of tags in half. And Mm -hmm. as someone who really values opportunity, and as we've talked about before cable, you know, New Mexico, almost every single species is a draw. So we don't have a whole lot of over the counter opportunities. And um, I didn't want to see anything that would reduce my opportunity of having a tag and and even if the actual hunt itself is going to be more challenging and more difficult having that tag in my pocket is is so important to me that that i wasn't interested in watching the department reduce the number of opportunities uh and so we supported the removal of the scopes on muzzleloaders which also resulted in a ridiculous amount of hate mail from all over the country you know you know and when you when you read it at face value if i was to read the headline new mexico wildlife federation backs the implementation of a bill banning scope muzzleloaders i would read that and be like what are those people doing why do they do this you know that seems really from a pro hunting organization that seems idiotic but then you dive into it and you're like well the alternative is less tags and less hunter opportunity because now people are shooting animals at 600 yards with the muzzleloader well then you're like well okay maybe that doesn't seem like such a bad idea because i'd rather have more tags and maybe the hunt's a little harder, like you said, but that's the whole point of a primitive season is because it is difficult. You know, yeah, it isn't it, like hunting with a modern rifle and it shouldn't be. But if you can poke things at six to 800 yards, which some of these muzzleloaders you can do. Well, okay, then, yeah, I, I get it. I understand it. I, I tend to agree with that. Yeah. And I got, you know, people telling me, oh, me I, the guy that yeah. wants to shoot at, you know, maybe 150 yards max. But, uh, you know, the, 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 the other modern muzzle loaders, if you have one of those, good for you. But that's not how this, that's not how that sport was intended to, to play out. Yeah, I agree completely. And, you know, I've got a scope on my muzzle loader that'll have to come off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't muzzle load hunt very often. I got that mostly for youth hunts. So I take kids out on, on youth hunts, but I've had people say, well, I spent five, six, $7,000 on this setup. You know, there's a company called Gunworks that, by the time you built this, build this custom muzzle loading rifle and then put super high quality optics on top of it, you're talking about many thousands of dollars. And they say, well, you know, who's, who's going to pay me back for this huge investment I made in this muzzle loader. And my response was like, just use it in the rifle season. I mean, any legal weapon, you could still use that muzzle loader in a rifle mm-hmm. hunt. They say, well, why would I want to use a rifle in, or a muzzle loader in a rifle season? Like, well, why did know. you basically buy a rifle that's you know mislabeled <laughs> as a muzzle loader then <laughs> yeah exactly i mean that's yeah I, i'm i'm with you on that completely and um 
but I was talking to the chief wildlife biologist at the roundhouse, I don't know, last week sometime and discussing draw strategies. And, and uh, I had it in my head that muzzleloader hunts would be easier to draw this year, since this is the first year that the scope ban went into effect. Uh, but the chief wildlife biologist told me he anticipates the opposite trend. He said, everybody's thinking like that. Everybody's thinking that muzzleloader hunts are going to be easy to draw this year because of the scope ban. He said, I anticipate seeing a huge spike in the number of applicants huh. or muzzleloader hunts this year. Interesting. Well, fascinating stuff, my friend. Uh, I, like you said, it's a great conversation. I don't agree with everything um, that you say and that New Mexico Wildlife Federation does. But uh, I think these conversations are important. And I don't think you're, even the things I disagree with, I don't think you're coming from a place of like a green decoy or anything. I mean, you and I have had in-depth conversations now multiple times. And I don't think there's an anti-hunting uh, sentiment within you at all. So, um, you know, it's been a great conversation, educational for sure. And uh, hopefully I'll draw another elk tag in New Mexico this year. Yeah, I hope you do, Ben. Um, keep in mind that over-the-counter Barbary sheep hunt is still uh, an option all year long, man. It starts April 1st and goes till March 31st. So if you ever want to come out and get out on some public land looking for the barbs, it's a super challenging hunt. But I know where we can find some. And, uh, you know, you, obviously in Texas, you, there's no shortage of opportunity when it comes to outdad. But uh, if you ever if you ever want to come and mess around in the hills of New Mexico, let me know. I'm happy to happy to join you and appreciate the conversation cable. I, I think it's really important for people with different perspectives and, and, you know, um, different experiences, things like that, to have these important yeah. conversations and important for hunters, regardless of, you know, whether you agree with me on one thing or a different thing, it's really important for hunters to just always be mindful that we are our own ambassadors. There's nobody out there looking out for us and looking out to protect this activity that we love so much, except for us. So we need to be, super responsible in how we conduct ourselves and you know make every effort to ensure that we're not pushing those non-hunting public over to the anti-hunting side and and messaging really matters and that's why some of these bills are so important to me but i appreciate you giving me the platform yeah. and you know sharing uh, your audience with me to have this conversation absolutely and i think it's important as we wrap up to just remember that so much of your perception as a sportsman is based off of where you were born and what your dad told you or your grandfather. Right. Um, but that's not the lens that I look at, uh, issues through from Texas. Isn't the same lens that someone from Montana or New Mexico or wherever looks at a, 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 a situation through. And that doesn't mean that we're not on the same team. It's just like, okay, well maybe we do things different. Does that make one better than the other? Well, maybe, right? You can have that opinion that my way is better, but you don't get to push that opinion on someone else. And, and uh, no, those, those are really great points, Cable. And one thing I'll mention is that I have very, very um, strong feelings about the importance of state rights, especially as it relates to hunting laws and regulations. You know, um, New Mexico, since I can remember, there's it's never been legal to bait bears in this state. I mean, at one point, obviously it was, but that ban happened sometime before I was paying attention. And I like it. I I, I wouldn't support bait, you know, a bill that would allow baiting of bears in New Mexico. But other states where baiting for bears is part of the tradition and part of the history, I absolutely respect 
and appreciate that. You know, there's states in the mm-hmm. South where guys hunt deer with dogs. I mean, yeah. to me, that sounds crazy, but I would never push it on Arkansas or Missouri or wherever those activities are happening and are part of the local culture and tradition. I would never try to impose my will on another state's um, tradition yeah. or history or culture. You know, that's really, really important to me. And so as the executive director of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation, sometimes what happens is I'm talking about things and advocating for things specific to New Mexico. And, you know, I get hammered by people from all across the country who just think I'm completely out of my mind. Like if I, like I just said, I wouldn't support a bill to allow baiting of bears in New Mexico. Uh, someone in Maine would, will probably call me or email me after hearing this and tell me how ridiculous I am and how hypocritical I am and what a schmuck I am. I'm an anti-hunter and everything else. But it's just, you know, New Mexico's unique in in our cultures and traditions, as are all the other 49 states in the country. And I respect every one of them to uphold those traditions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the bear baiting is a good comparison and and same thing for, for deer hunting. You know, we all have our own cultures and, uh, the way that we hunt deer is certainly different in the South than it is out West. I enjoy both. Uh, so, uh, I'll keep coming and playing in your sandbox though, as often as I can get a tag. And, uh, I appreciate the time today. All right. Well, thanks so much, Cable. Appreciate all you do, man. And, uh, catch up with you later, man. Absolutely. Take care. You too. So there you have it, Jesse Dubell of the New Mexico Wildlife Federation, and that concludes uh, the two-week mini-series with Jesse. I'm not saying Jesse changed my mind or that I agree with all of his takes because I unequivocally do not, but uh, but we have a lot more in common and agree more often than we disagree. Uh, so yeah, I think the uh, the point was, though, just to have that discourse and try to understand where each other are coming from and uh and jesse's a hell of a nice guy i'd go and i i hope to go all dad hunting with him someday i'd happily share camp with jesse uh that segment of the show brought to you by all seasons feeders and lone star ag credit unfortunately just looking at the clock here gotta go gotta get out of here thanks to jesse thanks to uh, all of our sponsors for making this show possible thanks to you the listener for being a part of sci's lone star outdoors show until next time I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Much water run under that old bridge. There's